Our series is uh, called AHA. AHA is that verbal expression that you have had a sudden awakening in your life and you're realizing that what you thought life was going to be is not what it is right now and some things need to change. To do this series, we've been taking a look at a story that Jesus tells in the New Testament book of Luke. And when he tells this story, it's commonly known as the uh, parable of the prodigal son. You may have heard that. Uh, When we saw the son last, he was feeding pigs. He had lost all his money, and he decided he was going to take the the, uh, get a job to to help uh, with uh, just some basic needs. And the only job he could find was a guy that he didn't know feeding pigs he didn't like. And he was so hungry that he wanted to eat the food that the pigs were eating. And Jesus in his story tells him that no one would give him anything. He realized uh, that he didn't want to be there. But he had to be brutally honest about his situation and realize that until he admitted that something was wrong, nothing was going to change. So far in the story, we've seen two of the three necessary components of aha. Uh, A sudden awakening and brutal honesty. Those two things are really, really great. But what happens next? What's the next step in aha? And what does happen next is the difference between an uh uh-oh story and an aha story. And it's that significant. So uh, for those of you that are just here for the first time, let's read the story in its entirety in uh, Luke chapter 15, and then we'll pick up uh, with the next ingredient. Starting with uh, Luke in Luke 15, there was a man who had two sons, The younger son spoke to his father, and he said, Father, give me my share of the family property. So the father divided his property between his two sons, and not long after that, the the younger son packed up all he had. Then he left for a far country. Uh, You maybe remember the distant country, different perspective. There he wasted his money on wild living. He spent everything he had. Then the whole country ran low on food. There's a famine. So the son didn't have what he needed. He went to work for someone who lived in that country. That person sent the son to feed pigs, uh, uh, in the fields to feed his pigs. The son wanted to fill his stomach with the food the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Then he began to think clearly again. He came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough food? But here I am dying from hunger. I will get up and go back to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I'm no longer fit to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. He had a sudden awakening. He came to his senses. He came to his senses, Jesus says in his story. It's that perspective where you and I had an idea that we were going to go someplace and we were going to do some things, and suddenly we're in the middle of that place, but it wasn't what we thought it was going to be. And we're realizing, we're waking up, that life 
isn't turning out like we thought it was going to. He had, uh, he had to be brutally honest with himself about his consequences. I'm starving to death. This is not what I thought it was going to be. I am alone and broke. Those are really, really hard words to say to yourself. Especially when you know that it was your own decisions that brought you to this point. And now he has to act. He has to do something. He's been awakened. He's been brutally honest. But if he doesn't move to action, none of this means anything. It's the hardest of the three ingredients, this action. I'm not sure why it's hard. I think I know why it's hard. I've talked to some people who are in the middle of their brutal honesty. I've spoken with some people who are just waking up. I've talked even with some folks who say, this is what I'm going to do. Along the lines of what the prodigal son said, he says, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to my father. And the person who's been brutally honest says, this is what I'm going to do. But there's a big difference between this is what I'm going to do and doing it. It's hard. Even if it's harder to be brutally honest with yourself, action still has to be there. Um, you can be honest with yourself. You can be honest with God. The son uh, in Jesus' story realizes that he can't stay where he is. This is an interesting perspective. Those of you who have known this story and read this story and, and are familiar with it over and over again, there's an interesting perspective here. Jesus says in verse 10, uh, uh, sorry, it's in that verse there, he got up. He got up. That word in the language there is the same one that, uh, if you're familiar with the story at the end of Jesus' ministry, it's the same word that is translated resurrection. It's not just getting up. It's getting up to new life. I am no longer who I was. I'm not going to be that person anymore. God, you have helped me to see what's going on in my life. You've helped me to be honest with myself. And now, by your help as well, I'm going to be different. That's what this means. One of the reasons that I think we don't do this is because we're just afraid. If you talk with, maybe you've been there. If, if you uh, have suffered from an, an addiction in the past and now you've broken free of that, you know what I'm, gonna, uh, what I'm about to say. If you're in the middle of an addiction and you're trying to break free, you know what I'm going to say. It, as bizarre as it sounds, people who are in the middle of the uh, pig pen, if you will, to continue the, the story, so to speak, People who are in the middle of the pig pen, they know how to live in the pig pen. They don't know how to live outside the pig pen. They know how to exist and get up and do the things that they have to do. And even though it's painful, even though it's difficult, even though they don't like it, as bizarre as it sound, there's, sounds, there's security in that life. But life outside, you need God's help. And that takes faith. And faith is not as easy as sometimes we're used to seeing, saying it. Sometimes it's, it's scary. 
God, I know that you've said some things about how you protect people. I know that you've said some things about how you give to people. But God, I've never experienced that. I know there are people sitting around me and, and people that I've known in the past that have talked about how you take care of people, God. And, and I'm crying out to you now and, 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 I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm ready to surrender it all, but I'm scared. I think that's the biggest reason why people don't move. Why they don't act. The prodigal son didn't just stand up and start walking. He got up. He got up out of something bigger than just a pig pen. He got up and started a new life. Getting up can change everything. Getting up might mean the difference between divorce and a restored marriage. Getting up can be the difference between struggling with an ongoing addiction and real freedom. Getting up is the difference between giving into peer pressure And staying away from the stuff you swore you would never get into. Getting up is the difference between continuing to feel anger and resentment about something that happened over 20 years ago, maybe. And forgiving that grudge that you've held on to for so long. You have to go beyond honesty. Here I am starving to death. And you have to realize that you don't have to starve to death anymore. You don't have to. When you know where you are and you know that you don't have to stay there, it makes it possible to get up. You don't have to do that. Your life was not created for you to be miserable. Your life is not uh, some kind of unending paycheck that you have to continue to make up for a decision that you made a long time ago. You can be free. Really, really free. The question is this. What does it take to get up? Really? You can look around and see that you're in the pig pen. You can be brutally honest with the fact that you're starving to death. But what does it take to get up and go? I think there are some things that we can discuss about this this morning. First of all, you need to know where you are. You need to know where you are. It's just a general perspective. You know, we do this all the time. It's just about at least a couple of times a week, we get on our phones and we either get, uh, we start using our thumbs and, and we hit, uh, uh, whether it's Google Maps or iMaps or whatever, and you want to know, you know where you're going, but it doesn't matter if you know where you're going if you first don't know where you are. You've got to understand, I'm starting from here and I'm going to there. You have to know where you are. Just like the son had to be brutal honest about the situation, he has to understand that staying there is absolutely unacceptable. I know where I am, and where I am is not where I want to be. I know that I've been arguing with my wife for years, and I don't want to do this anymore. I know that I've been struggling with my kids for years, and I don't want to struggle 
anymore. I know that uh, each month, the last four or five days, I'm wondering if I'm going to have enough money for food and gas. And I've been doing this for years and I'm sick and tired of it and I don't want to do this anymore. You have to know where you are. Because if you don't know or don't believe that God truly has something better for your life than sitting where you are, the chances are that you're not going to get up. You're going to just wallow, if you'll allow me to use that verb. You're going to wallow in your fear and in your ignorance. And the fact of the matter is, most of the time, there's at least three or four times in our lives when we know that. We know that we're afraid, and we know there are things that we don't know. But we'd rather stay where we are than trust God. Sometimes um, it's not just the fear that holds us, but it's ignorance that we talked about this when, uh, in the beginning of this series. talked about that young man uh, thinking that there's always something better, the grass is always greener kind of a perspective. And one of the aspects, it's, it's kind of like if you, if you want to go this far back, if you're able to go this far back, it's kind of going back to when you were... Uh, it's, it's this time, it's March, your senior year of high school. You remember that? You remember spring, your senior year, when you were so glad to keep on doing those papers and reading those books and taking those tests thinking, man, I can't wait to use algebra in the real world. I, you know, those quadratic equations are going to make a big difference when I go and to st- stop and shop, you know? I mean, we think that way. Now, there are aspects in which we do use it. We just never realize where it does come into play, and we do all those different things, and how it does challenge our minds and makes us think a little bit more clearly. But when we're seniors in high school, we're thinking that we already know everything we need to know. And we can't wait to get out into the world and prove the fact that we are going to make... Finally, nobody else has been able to figure out the answers to the world's problems, but we've got them. And we're going to go and we're going to make a difference. And where we thought we were going to go is not where we went. And what we thought we knew, we realized we didn't know anything. And this is not... This is not an indictment to anyone who's 16 or 17 or even 18 right now. This is a perspective of where we've been and what we thought we knew and where we ended up. And there are a whole bunch of people right now that can say, please don't send me back there. Stop talking right now. (laughs) There's also a whole bunch of people who will say, not only stop talking right now, But let me tell you about what God did. Let me tell you about where God took me. Let me tell you about how God saved me. I think that would be a great open mic Sunday morning one day. You have to know where you are. But you not only have to know where you are, secondly, you really need to know where you're going. You absolutely need to know where you're going. Now, 
I need to clarify this point here because I'm not necessarily talking about a destination. Because half the time, if you knew, if God said, I'm going to, uh, when it's all said and done, I know you're afraid right now, but in about four years, you're going to meet this person and you're going to get married. And, and six years after that, you're going to have twins. And when you have twins, you're going to think your world's absolutely falling apart, but the blessings that are going to come to you and you're going to move to this state and you're going to meet these people, if you understood that, then you see, then faith's not in the mix. That's just, you're just waiting for the, the calendar days to click off. I'm not necessarily talking about a destination. I'm talking about a direction. And sometimes the biggest difference between the pig pen is the other side of the fence. All you need to do is get out. And once you get out, then you're going to go down the road. And once you go down the road, you're going to come to a directional change and you're going to go to the right. And once you go down that road a little bit longer, you're going to meet somebody. And that's how God works. Faith, best exercised, is just simply the next step. The next step. That's it. You have to know where you're going, and that going, where you're going is really simply just a direction. When the prodigal son got up, he knew where he was going. I'm going to go back to my father's house. That is so, so important. Remember, we defined that the distant country generally speaking, is a place away from God. Away from Him. And there's so many of you, if you did have that open mic Sunday, would say, the first thing I realize is I need to get back to God. I need to go back to Him. I'm going to go back to my father's house. I doubt that he knew exactly how long the journey was going to take him back to his father's house. I've talked to a whole bunch of people that have been in the middle of their aha experience, and I've said this to them, and some of you have heard me say this to you. It comes from that, comes spending a lot of times in the woods hunting. If you walk 10 miles in, you've got to walk 10 miles out. Now, sometimes it it may take longer to go find the place that you were going to go to, and you may recognize some things on the way back and and just walk a little bit faster. It doesn't seem like that. Sometimes when you're on a long drive to a particular place, it took longer to get there than it did to get back, even though it's the same. It It just feels different. I don't know whether it was faster for this young man or longer, but you got to go back. You do have to go back to God. He didn't know how the place might have changed. He didn't know if people would remember him. Or for that matter, if people really understood just how desperate he was. Maybe there were rumors about some of his foolishness. Maybe he would be met with shame, scorn, jokes, disrespect. Those are the things that add to our fear. He didn't know if his father would be so wounded that he couldn't look him in the face. He didn't know if his brother would be so filled with anger that he would actually 
do something physical. It didn't matter because looking your father in the face when he's frustrated is a whole lot better than looking a pig in the face while it's chewing. So he got up. When you have an aha moment, rarely if ever, listen, listen to this. When you have an aha moment, rarely if ever will God let you know exactly what's going to happen next. But if you know where you're going, if you know what God has in store for you, it'll be better than where you've been. And you can get up because of that. You can get up and you can go. It might not be easy. It very well may be the most difficult thing you will have ever done in your life. But when you're going with God, you're going to end up okay. God just simply simply wants you to come home. I can't tell you... I can't tell you how many times I've said to parents, just tell them to come home. I've said to spouses, just tell him or her to come home. Come home. We'll work it out. Come home. Now this might mean saying, I don't know if I'll fit right away in church but I know I don't want to live here anymore. It might mean saying, I might lose my friends if I quit partying, but I know I don't want to live like this anymore. It might mean saying, I don't know if she will ever forgive me, but I know God wants me to be honest. It might mean saying forgiving my mom might be the hardest thing I have ever done. But I know Jesus forgave me so I can forgive my mom. When you can see the past, the present, when you can see the past, the future that God has leading to you makes the present a whole lot more, well, just better it makes you want to get up and go God has this way of just bringing peace right where you are it's this really strange combination of absolute dissatisfaction with where you are and absolute hope about where you're going and everybody else may just kind of look at you and think What are you doing now? But you're not alone anymore. You're walking with God. And that's what leads to the very last understanding about what it means to get up. You need to know where you are. You need to know where you're going. And here's the best part. You need to know who's waiting for you. You need to know who's waiting for you. Verse 17 in Jesus' story says this. So he got up and went to his father. 
while the sun was still a long way off. This is is one of the best stories in the Bible. This is what everybody wants to see. This is what everybody stands up and cheers while they're reading these sentences. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. I don't know if um, you're familiar with this, but in this area, if you don't have to travel too far. You can head down to the coast, whether it's down to New Bedford, over to Plymouth, or up anywhere. And there are these homes that were built 150, 200 years ago. And, and you can always tell they're interesting because um, you don't have your normal roof. You've got that captain's perch in the center of the roof. It's a small square structure, usually surrounded by glass. And it gives... The opportunity, you, you just get this picture that it was built by a, a wise captain of the sea and he's got uh, three or four ships under, in his company and he would have to go out to sea a long time but he built that place so that his wife could always go up and look out to see if another ship was coming home. And I have that perspective that God, that's, God's on the porch and the porch is... Is, is raised up about two or three levels where he can see vast distances over the countryside. And we've been really, really foolish. And we thought we knew how, to, how the world really, really worked. And we understood that we, our, our strengths were, were greater than they really, really were. And we find ourselves in a place where we, where we never thought we'd be. And we don't think that we'll ever be able to come home and it'll be the same again. But still, we know that we don't like it where we are. We're going to come home, even if we have to endure shame and go from being a son to being the lowest servant. And we're all prepared to give this speech. We're on our way home. Haven't even gotten to the gate yet. And he comes running. His father saw him. He was filled with tender love for his son. He ran to him. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said, he's got a speech. He doesn't know what to do. He wasn't expecting this. He's got the speech already. He's waiting for the anger. He's waiting for the judgment. He's waiting for for all of the punishment that he thinks is coming. And none of that comes. I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer fit to be called your, but his father, I'm interrupting on purpose. I don't care. His father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put on immediately. His identity will not be the trappings of what brought him here. His identity will be changed immediately because God clothes you powerfully. Bring the best robe and put it on him. I don't care. Let's cover up what happened. That's not an escape. That's a God-directed move. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Riches and comfort. That's not health and wealth stuff. That's God saying, I have more to give you. I have more to give you. But it begins with you coming home. 
Bring the fattest calf and kill it. Do you notice that God took care of a whole bunch of things before he took care of the hunger? Then having been overwhelmed with compassion, then he says, let's eat. Because I got some barbecue and some pizza. I got some... Shan, you really... God knows, God knows what you're hungry for. He knows what you need. Bring the fattest calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. This son was dead. And now he's alive. That's what Crosspoint is. It's the place where people thought they were dead, where we thought they were dead, And they cross over to life because God is waiting for people to come home. So they began to celebrate. The son would obviously have known his father. I know, I know. That's what we say. I know what they're going to say. I know what they're going to think. I know what they're going to do. But what he thought he knew is not what he heard, is not what he received. There are a lot of people that God think that God is just waiting to bring the hammer down. And if I can interject for just a bit, if God doesn't do that, then that doesn't mean that we have the license to do it. We don't. For many people, the memory of the pig pen will haunt them all of their days. It's not our job to bring that memory up. It's our job to say, I know, but that's not who you are anymore. The love of God has covered you. The grace of God has provided for you. And the mercy of God will help you forget how those things really impacted your life. And you can move forward from there. I've told my wife on more than a few occasions, I am so glad I met you after I joined the fleet. Because you would not have laid one eye on me, let alone answered anything I would have said to you had you met me before. That's the difference. The father throws any and every social custom and every expectation of judgment aside right out the window. He runs and hugs his son. No one listening to Jesus' story would have ever predicted that ending. Ever. They're no different than we are. First century frustration and judgment is no different than 21st century frustration and judgment. He was a jerk. He was foolish. There are so many things that he ruined and squandered and there, what's coming for him? And Jesus turned all of that aside. 
Jesus tells about a father who waits, waits patiently and eagerly for you and I to come home. Jesus tells about a father who would do anything to see us back here. Anything. And Jesus tells about a father who would suffer unimaginably while waiting. Waiting. Eating on the porch. Not eating while crawling up to the third level to go and see in that small square of glass. Is anybody coming home today? And right now, God's waiting. He's waiting. Maybe you haven't had that awakening just yet, or maybe you have. Maybe being brutally honest has been too difficult. You're only able to do one or two of those steps. I want you to know that God's waiting. He's waiting on the porch. He is literally waiting on the porch. And you thought that now that he's old and his knees are kind of bad, that you didn't think he could run anymore. But he can run. Oh, can he run. Joy and relief have a way of bringing energy to the joints. Oh, he can run. God's waiting for you and I to come home. He's waiting to cover you so that you can look like Jesus. He's waiting to change you so you don't have to remember what was. You can be looking forward to what will be. If you are ready to make that decision today, just, just come. I'll, I'll be standing out there afterwards. If you want to find out more about what that looks like, just come and talk to me. But I just want you to know God's waiting for you. Not waiting to tell you everything that you did wrong. Not waiting to tell everyone else what you did wrong. He's just waiting for you. It's time to get up. Father, thank you so much for everything that you do. Thank you for loving us. Lord, we know how foolish we've been. We know the way that sometimes the things that we think and therefore the things that we say and therefore the things that we do end up, help us to end up in places that we never imagined that we'd be, in circumstances that we never thought we'd ever be a part of. And yet here we are, and you're waiting for us. God, we think that because the rest of the world can't wait to talk about how foolish we are and put it on Facebook and put it on the news and put it in the papers and do everything else with it and chew us up and spit us out until the next failure comes along. We think that that's how you act, but you don't. You're patient and you're kind. There are some consequences that we have to face, but just the understanding that we can come home to you is so powerful and so relieving. So God, help us. Help us to remember what it was like when we come, came home. Help us to help others to understand what it'll be like when they come home. Because when it's all said and done, that's really the only thing that matters. 
thank you for loving us in spite of our sin. We thank you in Jesus' name.